it was part of why I came out and I was like, I've had an experience. <laughs> it's hell experiential. <laughs> Reading it all into my hours. <laughs> not the optimal way to do it, but I can't not recommend it either. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is yet another episode of Manga in Your Ears, and this time Corey and I will be discussing Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and Wotokoi, Love is Hard for an Otaku. Uh, April had some issues that came up last minute, so she's not going to be here. Which, Corey, I think this means both of us are going to have to talk 50% more than usual to, you know, fill up the space. All right. Make it feel like there's still three people here. I'll do my best. Yep. Gonna try. So, the song you just heard was Wotokoi, but as usual, we are going to be talking about the current series in the second part of this podcast, and we are going to open with Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, uh, which is, it's a title, I think it began in the 80s, but it's still fairly well known in the U.S. because it was created by Hayao Miyazaki, who used it partially as a pitch for the movie he created of the same name. And the movie is not exactly a fairly straightforward adaptation of the manga, but the manga's first, I don't know, quarter or third of it is what the movie covers, and then the story just keeps on going far beyond where the movie did. In case you're unfamiliar with either the manga or the movie, uh, Nausicaa is the name of a princess who lives in the Valley of the Wind, and she lives on this future Earth where seemingly the entire world is being covered by this gigantic forest known as the Sea of Corruption, which emits poisons, it has strange creatures, strange plants, humans can't breathe the air in it, and so it's a very precarious existence for what's left of humanity. Uh, the Valley of the Wind is sort of a neutral kingdom, and there's a couple of larger countries which are constantly waging war against each other, trying to compete over the last few resources that are available before the Sea of Corruption swallows up even more land. Uh, Nausicaa is a bit of a scientist as well. She likes studying the Sea of Corruption. She finds it very fascinating. She's a bit of a fighter. She's able to hold her own in this kind of warlike country. And um, I feel like in the anime, she comes off as a very messiah figure. She feels very much like she will be the chosen one to lead the people to a new world where they don't have to worry about anything. It is more messiah in the manga. I was going to say less messiah in the manga, since the story goes farther and we see Nausicaa having to make some very difficult choices by the end of it, and I would say does decide the future of all humanity in the very last bits. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but there there is uh, some specific characters that view her as uh, a deity of some sort, and she like has to convince them that no, she's just human. Mm-hmm. She's just very smart. Yeah, and very caring. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's such a shame that the mon- manga's older. I feel like most people haven't read the whole series, since I really do want to talk about the ending. There are some interesting moral decisions Nausicaa had to make by the end of it. I just remember when I read this series, it was kind of an experience, since this was back in high school, where my friends and I, we all lived kind of far apart, so we all had totally different library systems, so we would check out manga, read it, and then loan it to our friends. <laughs> and so one of my friend's libraries had... um an older issue of this, where it was released in four volumes. If you go online these days, what you're most likely to find is a seven-volume set from Viz, but it's still the exact same material. And you see, she had loaned me the first volume a while ago, 
And then she got two, three, and four for me to read the day before school ended, and I wasn't able to see her over the summer. So I essentially just locked myself in my bedroom for two hours and read, like, the majority of the manga. And I just came out feeling like, I feel like I've had an experience of some sort. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what, but I feel like I've had an experience. That would definitely do that. (laughs) You know, I've always been an environmentalist as well, so watching this... hmm, I feel like you could call this a morality tale in some ways, since I think it's implied all along that the Sea of Corruption has human origins, or at least most readers would guess that, since it is this rather unnatural entity. It, it's just so thorough, it doesn't seem like something that could have come about naturally. It sort of feels like humans had to have fucked this up in some way. So it feels like a bit of a, you know, like a morality tale, since we know that we are basically in the twilight of humanity in this story. Humanity is going to end when the sea of corruption continues eating up the rest of the land that's there. There's not really any options. There's no way to stop it. And so we're just kind of seeing people fighting against that fate and some who are starting to make peace with it, I think. Like there's a tribe of folks we meet later on, not in the movie, but in the manga, who live entirely in the forest. And they've actually gone in so deep, they've seen what lies at the heart of the sea of corruption. And it's not what anyone expects. Right, yeah. I mean, we uh, we don't want to go too far into spoilers, but uh, yeah, it definitely feels uh, man-made. Um, once it, once you start getting into it, like uh, at the beginning, you just kind of see it as fantastical and uh, as if this is a fantasy setting. But as uh, as Miyazaki like keeps uh, going and going on this story, uh, and Nausicaa keeps learning more and more, it just becomes uh, more evident that it's, it doesn't seem like something that's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it definitely feels kind of creepy from the beginning. And I also really liked the art in it. The art really stood out to me, especially as a young high schooler. Since it's all pen and ink drawings, I don't think there's a single screen tone anywhere in it. And I read this right when I was getting into manga as well. I didn't have anyone who would lend me manga until like my freshman year of high school. So that really made an impression on me. Like, I wish I could say it influenced the art I did in high school, but I was still not very good at art then. (laughs) But it's very striking. He has just a really good grasp on how to do pen and ink shading, which not everybody does. And it must have taken forever. I know he worked on the series on and off for years. Oh, yeah. Since initially he was only doing it kind of like, I think, along the lines of drum up support to get the movie made. But then he continued on later on, and it grew and grew. Yeah, like you said, it has seven volumes, uh, but it ran from 1982 to 1994, so it took him a while. And uh, from the the back of the book, he he has like a little essay in the back of Viz's like, giant two volume hardcover edition of it. Out of the tone. Yeah, <laughs> that, those are the ones that I have. And uh, he mentions that he he doesn't seem to have much faith in his own ability to draw manga or at least create the stories of manga, uh, the way it ended, uh, not, without saying spoilers, the way it ended seemed, uh, obviously conclusive, but also, like, Miyazaki was done with this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny, since a lot of Studio Ghibli films, you feel like this this story has ended, but the world continues on, the characters will continue doing other things, which I remember stood out to me the first time I saw Spirited Away, which would have been a year or two before I read the manga. It was a very different kind of ending than I was used to with, like, Disney films. <laughs> Look, Corey, the early 2000s were not so great, you know, if you didn't already have access to anime and manga. Your choices for animation were a little limited. <laughs> yeah, that's when I watched Princess Mononoke, and I was like, man, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, Princess Mononoke is cool, so. I also really like that the Viz editions that I have and the ones you have are much larger than normal, so you can really see the art there. 
probably about like one and a half volumes tall and wide. Yeah. It's a pain to shelve them in my very crowded bookshelf. I have to like, those are one of the first things I have to shelve just so I can make sure I have space for them. But I do like how they show off the art. Yeah, I super love the books. Uh, it's obvious that Miyazaki has a talent for drawing manga, uh, even if he doesn't believe he has a talent to draw manga. Uh, after finishing Nausicaa again, I just, like, want to read more of Miyazaki's manga, even though I don't think he grew anything else. And if he did, it's certainly, like, not this, uh, expansive. Yeah, not quite like that. I think Viz has put out a book of his original sketches for one of the other works. I think it might have been for Princess Mononoke. No, for Totoro. I think, shoot, it's got a design in it that looks like Totoro, but they've put out some books of, like, some other original ideas he worked on, but I don't think they're full manga. It's been a little while since I've actually read the series, and I'd be interested to look at it again and just see how well he's paneled things, since he's done storyboarding at Studio Ghibli, I think. So he's probably got a pretty good grasp on how to, you know, sequentially tell a story on a page, you know, all that mm-hmm. jazz. Yeah, yeah. Because we both read some things by artists, not 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 usually manga, more American comics, where you look at it and you go, yeah, you have no idea how to use panels, do you? Mm-hmm. You just have none. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Uh, but as far as, like, Nausicaa goes, I I obviously loved the art, the uh, the message of uh, general environmentalism, like, Nausicaa views not just um, her, her friends, her human friends, and uh, the animal companions that she meets along the way as living, but also the sea of corruption and these uh, giant creatures that are, like, I don't know how to describe the Om... Uh, or I guess they, they call them the Omu in the They're, they're kind of the like book, giant yeah. glowing bugs. Yeah, and they like... Like elephant-sized hill bugs with glowing spots. Yeah, if not, like, even bigger than that, and they just, like... Yeah, you're right, actually. Uh, <laughs> Two elephants tall. Yeah, like, they crawl forward? I don't know how to describe it. Uh, but yeah, he she sees all of those things as living beings, and she wants to protect that life, uh, because she knows that they're everything has like this role in this giant ecosystem it's just uh uh like everything that we've learned from miyazaki from his movies uh boiled down into a giant epic tale of manga yeah i think most people would probably say that princess mononoke is like his most environmentalist work but even there it felt like he was advocating for like human balance with nature while nausicaa is more along the lines of okay we're gonna burn it all to the ground we have messed up you know this is we are going to just die, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've always thought there's been a theme of environmentalism in Miyazaki's works, but especially in some of these earlier works. Definitely. Since by the time he made this, he had been working at, um, I believe, Studio Toei. He had done work before. This was more along the lines of when Studio Ghibli as its own entity was being founded. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really look up the publication history of it, but it would be uh, quite interesting to see like, why he made it, um, beyond, like, that he wanted to tell the story, but, uh, what the impetus of it, whether he was, like, just trying to create something for this movie, or whether he wanted to actually try his hand at manga, then once he started it, he was like, please, no more manga. <laughs> oh, man, I was just thinking, what if the next time Miyazaki comes out of retirement, it's actually to do another manga? Be a plot it. twist. <laughs> It'd probably be better than his movies. Ooh. <laughs> I, I never thought the Nausicaa movie was bad. But it definitely feels like a paler version compared to the story. I definitely prefer the manga over it. It just, it keeps going. And what seems like a fairly optimistic ending, I think, for Nausicaa, the movie, 
turns into definitely a more somber one by the end of this. Yeah, I mean, like, once you read this manga, like, the movie is solidly among one of my favorite Miyazaki movies, uh, Mm -hmm. but once you read the manga, it's like, why why would I watch the movie again when I can experience so much more in this manga version of it? And this is why I lobbied for us to talk about it on the podcast, since neither you nor April had read it before. I did actually read it before, but it had been, like, several okay. years, and I remember basically nothing, as usual. <laughs> yeah, I just remember Dana texting me. She was so proud of you. You started reading it, like, immediately instead of waiting until the last minute for once. It was, like, 3,000 pages of manga. <laughs> I had to get through it. Anyway, so... Nausicaa is still legally available from Viz. I think that two-volume version you're talking about only came out a couple of years ago, so you can definitely get it. And the two of us really, really recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a ton of interesting characters in there whom we haven't talked about just since I don't remember specific characters quite as well. But almost everybody seems pretty morally ambiguous, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Although you do have some characters who are just, like, outright evil. It's like, you're either morally ambiguous or evil. There is no good in the series, except Nausicaa, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it does toe that line between, like, Nausicaa's uh, sense of morality and her pushing all of these people that are doing uh, evil things for their or their people's good. Um, she's trying to push them toward a, a quote-unquote moral right. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that involves more of humanity surviving by the end anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right, with that, I think we'll go to break, and then we'll come back to talk about Wudakoi. And we are back, and uh, we're talking about our newer series now, which is Wodakoi Wodakoi by uh, Fujita, I believe is the uh, the name of the author. It's just like a one one name author. Um, it was uh, first a Pixiv comic, and then later put onto a uh, a uh, web manga publication by Ichi Jinsha and Pixiv, uh, which was called comic pool we got the i think we got the anime first right i think the manga came out slightly before the anime since um ben applegate did an interview with justin over at the oasg from uh anime nyc and i think he mentioned that the anime helped boost the sales of this like not to crazy levels or anything but i think he did mention an anime boost for the series okay well let's see uh the anime came out on april 13th And then the manga came out on April 17th. So it looks like this was a coordinated release. Okay, yeah. Also makes sense. Yeah. Kodansha does that stuff. Yep. Um, so this is just about uh, some uh, mid to late 20-something office workers. Uh, there are all uh, weebs of some sort. And uh, Can you they... be a weeaboo if you are Japanese, though? I feel like they're just nerds. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of just like, okay, well, they call them otaku because it's in the title of the manga, but I think the English colloquial for weeb is just kind of like person interested in Japanese stuff. Well, weeb is more like, you know, weeaboo is more like the, the point to the point of obsession where you're speaking in like broken Japanese in your normal English <laughs> sentences. So but there's a there's a more undesirable connotation associated with it. Although I've seen people reclaiming the word weeb in the past few years, you can even reclaim a word that's like not a slur yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we just call them nerds. I'm gonna call them nerds, not weebs. Well, they're otaku of some sort. Yeah, <laughs> they're nerds slash otaku's. Um, the the main character is uh, Narumi Momose. Uh, she is just kind of into BL and manga of seemingly all sorts. She writes her own doujinshi for uh, crap. What's that thing called? Comicet. Yep, Comicet. Doesn't um, she draw it too? Yep, she writes and draws. All that stuff. Uh, and also cosplays sometimes. Yeah, at, at the behest of uh, one of her other co-workers, Hanako, Hanako Koyanagi. Uh, and then there are their boyfriends, uh, Hirotaka Nifuji, who is a gamer, and Kabakura, who uh, is into shonen manga, it seems. And Yuri. Uh, yeah, and Yuri. And he seems to be getting uh, into BL at the nudging of Koyanagi. Uh Anna is trying very hard to get her boyfriend into BL. Probably <laughs> yeah. partially so she can do BL-themed cosplay photo shoots with him. I feel like that is definitely on her mind. Oh, but yeah. That's like definitely uh, definitely something she thinks about, as well as trying to get Nifuji into it as well. Well, Nifuji at least will pose with a wig well, yeah. with Narumi for <laughs> silly selfies. Yeah, I, I did love his line, which I think the anime cut out, which is, Oh my god, you made me into a waifu. <laughs> Why would the anime cut that out? I just don't remember that particular line. They definitely had... The scene where Kapagura is like, whoa, who's this pretty girl with you? And she's like, oh, it's Mifuji. Oh, yeah. Kapagura yeah, is just that. like, uh-oh. It's like, uh, <laughs> my brain's broke. Yeah. But the, the manga is just kind of about them hanging out, hiding their otaku obsessions with their co-workers, and then uh, letting it all out in the company of each other. There are a couple other characters, Nifuji's younger brother and uh, one of her friends, his friends from college, uh, <laughs> who is her. Yes. Um, just when you think that the story might actually have a gay couple, nope, it's it, it's just a straight couple. Yep. Uh, but it's just them, uh, you know, slice of lifing. Uh, but, Helen, you have some hot takes about how the anime is better? No, no actually, my, my first hot take is, love doesn't seem too hard for these guys. I feel like this title's a misnomer. Yeah, that's all, actually very true. I mean, it is kind of nice that the story doesn't go through a lot of will they, won't they? But Narumi and Nifuji literally start dating in the first chapter. I mean, at first, it's more of dating of convenience, but then Narumi very quickly finds out, oh, no, wait, Nifuji actually likes me. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, we are real dating now. <laughs> yeah. And Hana and Kapagabura have apparently been dating since, luckily, high school. It's amazing those two haven't killed each other yet. Like, yeah, they are. I don't think that is a good relationship between them. That is too much yelling. <laughs> They're constantly at each other's throats, uh, but maybe that's I... what they love about each other. I recommended the anime to a friend, and then we got to that, and I was like, ah, I regret this recommendation. This is not what <laughs> she's going to enjoy. But yeah, I definitely take issue with love is hard for an otaku since we just don't really see anything that's too hard aside from that one date where they're both trying to talk about non-nerdy things for the entire date and it goes badly. <laughs> In hilarious ways for us as the reader. Yeah. No, my hot take is uh, on the anime is that I've seen you saying on Twitter that you think the manga is better, that the jokes land better and all kinds of stuff, but I thought the manga and the anime were pretty similar, honestly. I didn't feel like one was definitely stronger than the other or anything. Like, I saw a couple of jokes, I think, that might have been cut from the anime, but other than that, like, was a pretty good adaptation to me. Yeah, I think my, uh, my complaints, or not, it's not really a complaint with the anime, but the anime, as I recall, makes things a little more linear than the manga. The manga has, like, uh, a chapter on this, and then a chapter on this, and then the next chapter goes back to the first thing, then there's a separate next chapter, and then it goes to... Wait, and you're complaining about it actually being linear? <laughs> oh, I like the, uh, uh, the, uh, focus on, like, various things, uh, keeps me on my toes while reading. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I think it's fun. You'll like. It's definitely a fun series. <laughs> there are some references I get, some references I don't get, since I think they're going pretty hardcore in some of their references. Yeah, or at least stuff where it's like, if you grew up in Japan and watched anime, you would know this reference from the 70s, but if you didn't, because like Helen, you only were able to discover anime manga in the year 2005, <laughs> you won't. Yeah, and thankfully it does have um, uh, a lot of translation notes in the back that have very detailed descriptions of like here's where this exact reference is from in uh in jojo's or kaiji or whatever god bless translators yeah they're so good also this manga is filled with an extreme amount of good silly faces you can open up the books at random to basically any page and you'll find good silly faces on there which i definitely approve of yes there's so many good faces and uh one thing i really do like about the manga um is that uh at the bottom of most every page there's just like kind of a blurb from uh the author kind of saying something about what's happening on the page sometimes it's uh just a comment from her like they mentioned card capture sakura clear card once and uh the author just said congrats card capture sakura for a new anime uh but those are usually funny or cute yeah they kind of remind me of the alt text you'll see on some web comics like i know a couple like i think questionable content now just kind of writes their alt text at the very bottom of the page so you can see it or i like, one webcomic I know has, like, an ongoing story completely unrelated to the main story, and they're all tags. Oh, my God. There's a couple of others, like, um, I'm blanking right now, but a couple of others that just have, like, really funny comments, and that's exactly what it reminded me of. That's probably I, actually I, It actually made me wonder if this was a webcomic originally, if it was on Pixiv, because I was like, that's kind of what these seem like. Yeah. I mean, since a gig start on Pixiv, that probably is what it is. Yeah. Do you know if she had to redraw the art at all? Um, I think the creators that she... Um, when they got it um, more traditionally published? I have no idea. I googled all of that thing, all of that stuff about Pixiv as I was talking. Sorry. I know. Uh, at least everyone by now who's listening to this podcast knows that we are not very professional at this. Yeah, it's alright. We have fun. <laughs> we do. See. It doesn't mention anything about redrawing. Uh, it just says, Ichi Jinja launched a digital manga magazine with Pixiv, titled Comic Cool, and Skarg serializing the manga on a regular basis. Mm, okay. It's a good comic. I've only been able to read the first volume of it. I'm hoping my library has the second and third volumes when I go by there next. Um, it's a fun rom-com. Like I said earlier, there are some aspects to Hana and Kapokuro's relationship I don't like. They yell at each other a lot, and they take some really low, nasty blows to each other on a pretty frequent basis. Yeah. To the point where if this was two people I knew in a real relationship, I would probably be dragging them both to a therapist <laughs> or something like that. Or like couple therapy and be like, guys, let's uh, Yeah. But other than that complaint, I really do enjoy the series, and thankfully those scenes aren't super frequent in the manga so far. Yeah. Also, it's a little easier to skip things you don't like on a manga than an anime. Yeah. I've read uh, all three volumes that are out now, which I believe is all the volumes that are also out in Japanese. And just like watching them grow into these relationships, watching uh, Nagami like start loving Nifuji more, it just brings warmth to the heart. And they do feel like, in some level, that they could be real couples. Like, they do little things, like, oh, I remember Narumi was offended by how Nifuji seems to like big busted woman, so she, like, turned all those figures to face <laughs> away. Since Narumi has a much more average size bust <laughs> than other anime characters. That was a hilariously peggy action on her part. Oh, I was gonna ask, uh, usually don't, or not, I wouldn't say, I don't want to, like, broad strokes you here, but... Uh, in my experience, you're not, like, super into the romancy comics. What makes this different from uh, the rest of the other ones? This is more comedy first, romance second. I'm not a big fan on the ones that are romance first. And like I said, with this comic, they don't even do will they, won't they. They basically just start dating almost from the get-go. 
which in some ways makes it a little less romancy and more focused on being together as a couple. Yeah. It, it might feel like a weird differentiation to make, but it, it's not like either of them have their thoughts, you know, entirely consumed by the other person all day long. No, they're thinking about nerd shit all day long. That is much more <laughs> relatable for me. Thinking about Pokemon Go and Gotcha Drops and RNG Gogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely funny, like, in the, I think in the first chapter, Mifuji's like, how did she invite me out so we could talk at the bar? And it's like, no, she just needed help farming something in her game. She just needed another player. Yeah. You do notice uh, some of the, the time shifting, not time shifting, but the time passing in the manga as well. Uh, they're playing a Wii in the first volume, and then by the third volume, Mifuji has a Switch. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't. I don't think necessarily time is something that matters in this manga, but obviously, uh, it is just sect contemporarily, regardless of how much time is passed in their actual lives. I mean, people still play their Wii's, right? Like my roommate has a Wii. I've played with it in the past year-ish when I've had time. Hmm. I guess if he's like too lazy or too cheap to buy a Mario Kart for newer systems, then I could see that. Yeah, I was never a big fan of Mario Kart anyway. They are. <laughs> it is kind of funny seeing how utterly hopeless at games Narumi's brother is. Like, we include him with the other two couples as part of the nerdy couples, but he's not really a nerd in anything. He's actually bad at being, like, nerdy. Yeah, and he... He's a good boy. He doesn't really understand anything about nerd stuff. He's terrible at games, uh, which is by no help of uh, Nibuji the Elder, who's just kind of like, please stop playing games with me. That, that, that is kind of how I am to my siblings. Not in regards <laughs> to games, but just being like, no... Yeah, it's a very enjoyable manga. Uh, it's a, I wouldn't call it a quick read, just because it's like very talky, but it, it feels like it goes by. And also, Kodansh is releasing these in omnibuses. Yeah, it, it feels like it goes by very quickly, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything else before we close out this episode? Yeah, two good sto- two good volumes this week. Not volumes. Two good series this week. Yep. Uh, from both people for entirely different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe do the Nausicaa first and the Wodokoi later as a pick-me-up. Yeah. Um, so next... Next time, we will hopefully have uh, just kind of a year-end wrap-up episode, uh, volumes that we've liked, whether we've talked about them on this podcast or not. Uh, so look forward to that instead of our regularly scheduled old and new manga. But until also then, because this is easier than three of us trying to once again coordinate what series we all have or can <laughs> easily get to. Right, yeah. Uh, until then, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me procrastinating on my papers on Twitter, at WonderDreamer. Although, depending on how quickly this podcast goes up, I might actually be done with my papers by that point. And you can also find me recording on the OASG podcast and writing some reviews on the OASG's website. I've just been bogged down papers to write too many reviews lately. And I'm hoping to do the 12 Days of Anime on my old blog, Narrative Investigations, but fingers crossed that happens this year. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to try that on my blog that I've literally written one post on. Written? Written? One post on? I did not know you had a blog. I thought the Taiku podcast was your equivalent of a blog. <laughs> That's where you put all your sports ramblings at the top of each episode. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at ImpassionateK. This podcast is on Twitter at Monging Your Ears. My other podcast is at Taiku Podcast, T-A-I-I-K-U. Next to where also you can find episodes of this podcast at TaikuPodcast.com. Uh, rate, review us on iTunes. Let me know if you want us anywhere else, and I will get us there. Until next time, then, guys. Bye.